Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. There's nothing better, I tell you, than Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. It's Adnan Burke and Michael Lombardi, and we're fired up for this playoff edition now when it comes to football. And, of course, Mike, we go into the playoffs feeling like we have an idea of which teams are going to win, and instead there was upsets all over the place, and nothing bigger than the fact the New England Patriots lose at Foxborough. We knew Derrick Henry was a great player. We'll get to him in a second. 182 yards, he was the rushing leader. But Tom Brady and the Patriots' offense all year was suspect, and once again in the biggest game of the year did not turn out well. Brady, 20 of 37 for 209 yards, and an interception ends the game, although it should be noted New England didn't have much of a chance left. Before we get to retirement and all the rest of it, Mike, let's analyze the Patriots' performance as their offense completely haunted them. Were you surprised at how bad New England's offense looked? You know, I was really surprised. I thought, as I said on the Friday pod, I thought they would move the ball. I'm not in love with Tennessee's defense, especially I think their corners are suspect. I was really surprised. And I think that the one thing I think that's obvious come playoff time is whatever warts you have as a football team, whatever your inabilities are, as a football team over the course of 17 weeks, you can't run away from them in the playoffs. Like the coaching's always at a higher level, the playing's at a higher level, every the stakes are at a higher level, and your problems creep up and magnify. And I think in this game, particularly, that the Patriots' inability to make any explosive plays showed up. Like they couldn't make an explosive play. Everything had to be blocked correctly, had to be run perfectly. Everything had the throw had to be perfectly placed. And, you know, and when that happens, you hold a team to 14 points. I mean, look, I think Derrick Henry was sensational, but it proves the point that if you want to go in and run the ball and let a running back win a playoff game, it's probably not going to happen. But in this game it did because the Patriots had no ability to score. I mean, they just couldn't make an explosive play. They couldn't make a 20-yard play ever. And I think that's happened all season long, and it showed up. This was not – I think the way you have to look at this, this was a design problem, not a production problem. The design of the Patriots' offense going back to the offseason – was wrong and it showed up and the production ended up killing the team. And you go through moments, Mike. I, w- I went back and obviously I was watching the game live and I DVR and I just, I still can't get that Edelman drop out of my mind. I know it's hard to fix it on one play, but there was enough time there, as you know. There was three and a half left. You go, okay, close game, obviously. If Brady drives him down the field and that critical drop, I mean, I'm not focusing on one play. I'm just pointing out that when people are going to say Tom Brady needs more help, that's what they're talking about. You got to have a guy make a play there. Yeah, I think when when Brady threw the ball, if you go through the numbers, when Brady threw the ball to James White, he threw the ball to Edelman, and he threw the ball to Burkett or the backs. I mean, they were really good. When he threw the ball to Harry, when he threw the ball to Sanu, and he threw the ball anybody, Dorsett, I think they were like 4 for 17 in the game. They just didn't make plays for him. I mean, the other guys didn't make plays, and this has been going on for a long time. And you can watch Brady and say, well, he looks older, you know, but his arm strength didn't look bad. I mean – There is just not a lot of symmetry within the offense, and I think it it starts with the fact that they had no tight end, so you had no tight end that can really block. You got no fullback, so they're not really a tough team. Last year they were a tough team. Now they're not a tough team. They weren't really tough, and they couldn't really knock anybody off the ball. And so they're not tough, they're not physical, and they don't have enough skill. I think the Patriots from the first preseason game were slow. 
I've said that before. I'll say it again. They had no explosiveness on offense, and it showed up against Tennessee, which was begging for you to deal with their their problems, and they could hide their problems because the Patriots couldn't exploit them. And I thought they could have. Here's what I want to talk to you about, just going within the game here, and I, I really want to focus on this moment because watching the game, everyone goes, that's what Belichick would do. When Mike Vrabel is clearly trying to kill as much time as possible and takes that delay of game penalty, and Bill's got the hoodie on, he looks like Darth Belichick, and he's furious. You're going, yeah, but Vrabel's smart. He's killing the clock. Takes a delay of game penalty there. He'll take another delay of game penalty if he has to. Then New England had a false start. It was just fascinating watching the game within the game. Vrabel, a former Patriot, almost you know a, a mentor in the student type situation. There, You know, and, and there it is, right? So people say, well, the running game really was the reason why Tennessee won. Look, Henry was fabulous, right? They scored 14 points. I mean, I forget the last play of the game. They scored 14 points. And the time of possession, with that minute 30 that he gained doing that, the time of possession favored the Titans like 31 to 28. So that, that 130 really balanced it out, right? If it wasn't for that 130, the way he delayed it, the time of possession would have been even. I mean, what the running game of Tennessee allowed them to do was control the game because I thought during that game the Patriots never got control of the game. They never got control. They could never stop Henry from getting five yards. They could never stop them. And look, if you want to blame anything, if you want to say why did the Titans win, third and four, pressure the quarterback, can't get Tannehill on the ground, throws a pass out to Deion Lewis first down. Third and ten, you play cover five, two deep man under, and the guy runs an out route, Tannehill throws the ball perfectly on the outside. First down, Terrence Brooks can't make the play. You want to look at any reason why you lo- those are the plays you lost. Like everybody focuses on other things. You're supposed to be a top-flight defense. You can't get off the field on those two downs. You deserve to lose. They just didn't play well in any area, and I think that the Titans deserve credit for what they did. They didn't try to come in and throw the ball, figuring that that could create turnovers. They came in and said, look, if we don't beat ourselves here, and I thought the line of the day, A.D., was – when Vrabel said to the girl, I don't know who the hell interviewed him before the game. I'm not sure. I, I'm drunk from announcers. I mean, I wish I could mute, but Millie won't let me mute all the time. It's like, <laughs> can we have a little sound? All right. So we put sound on. But, you know, he said to the girl, he said, we can't fear the pinstripe. And I thought that was a real revealing line. What he was trying to tell his team all week was, yeah, they may be the Patriots in their uniforms, but these ain't the Patriots of the past. Like, there ain't Gronk over there. Brady ain't Brady. There's no other receiver we're worried about. Like, there's nothing over there that we're scared of. So let's just stop fearing the name, and let's just deal with what we're dealing with. And I thought that was revealing. And that's how they played the game. They weren't scared at all of ever giving up a play to New England. It's like when Tyson lost to Buster Douglas, right? Just never was the same after that. You go, okay, with no fear now. The intimidation's gone. It's like once Tiger got beat, you go, okay, why E. Yang all of a sudden can beat him? Now it's different. So that's where you're right. Once that mystique goes, there's so much of sports. is a mental game, and once that's gone, it becomes a different story. Now, moving forward... Before we get to Brady and his future, Tannehill did not have a great game. And credit to Mike Frabel in that running game. But, Mike, I really don't think the Titans can beat the Ravens next week. You know, I don't either. And I think the storybook is going to come to an ending. And I think that Don Martindale, the defensive coordinator of the Ravens, will do a lot of different blitzes on them. I think it'll be a challenging weather day. And I do think the Ravens are set up with the speed of their offense, with the speed of their offense to attack this Titans team. And look, we saw the Saints go into Tennessee and win a game, 38-28. We know the Saints are prolific offensively. And we know the Titans can make some big plays down the field. But, I mean, Tannehill threw 15 times, and he walks out of Patriot Place. He walks out of Gillette Stadium, the first-time winner. He's 1-6. and 
and he threw it 15 times. I think the game plan was real simple by Vrabel. They're not the same team. We don't respect them. We're going to stick our tongue out to them. We're going to punch them in the mouth because they can't punch us back. That's going to be a different story in Baltimore. I agree, A.D. All right, now we get to Brady. He said via Mike Race of ESPN, I would say it's pretty unlikely when he was asked about retirement and then added, hopefully unlikely. Contract of the Patriots is done. He's 42 years of age. It sounds like he does not want to retire. Everybody knows he's not the same guy he once was, Mike, but everybody also knows his weapons were not particularly strong this season. New England, as you mentioned, should have had a better tight end, should have replaced Gronk better, needed more weapons, et cetera, et cetera. Some talk. Here's some numbers. Two years, 50 million. Uh, some conjecture. I saw Jay Glazer saying Brady's not going to take a hometown discount this time. This is his final contract, so maybe he doesn't take a you know, short-term deal. Does he follow Josh McDaniels, wherever McDaniels goes? What's your vibe on A, Brady returning, period, and B, returning to New England? Well, I mean, I think Glazer reported right. I don't think there's any going to be any hometown discount. I think this is going to come down to the three people, four people, Jonathan Kraft, Robert Kraft, Bill, and Brady getting in a room together and saying, where are we headed here? I mean, what do we want to do? And if Brady says, hey, I, I should get paid two years at uh, $80 million, then I think they have to make a decision. And then I think they have to decide, where are we going to go? Is this the right thing to do? Because I think Brady's entitled to not take a hometown discount. I mean, look, let's face it. you know, No one talks about this, but the value of the franchise has gone up exponentially. I mean, there's like, you know, whatever Kraft, what Kraft paid, 160 for it, it's worth $5 billion today. You know, there's value in what Tom has brought to the table. There's tremendous value in what Bill brought to the table. And at some point... You feel like, that. when do I get that value back? Where do I get it back out of? And you could say, well, he doesn't own the team. But, well, if he wasn't there, was the va- would the value be the same? It's a complicated issue. I don't think it's an easy issue to solve. And I think that it's going to require understanding on both sides. And I think the market, I do think there is going to be a market. I think there will be a market. I think you'd be naive to believe that Tom – is out there with no market. It's well said. I think he will consider his options. I think there's going to be one. I think there's going to be a market. And I think once they know what the market is, and like anything in free trade, you could come back and say, look, you know, the, the Raiders want me to play for two years. They're going to guarantee me $80 million. The Chargers said they'll do three years at $90 million and guarantee all of it, but figuring I'm only going to play two more years. Whatever. I don't know. how I'm just making these numbers up. Sure. Then I think you come back in the room and say, okay, where does it fit for the franchise? You know, it may be $10 million too rich for us to do this year, but for all that he's done, maybe we should, you know, I mean, there's a lot of variables. And then what does the team look like? Like, like will Brady come back to New England if the team doesn't look different or doesn't have different kind of elements to it? And, you know, I think there's too many variables for anybody to sit there and predict accurately today. You know, you can predict Jason Garrett was getting fired. That's easy. <laughs> this one ain't easy. I will say, I think he comes back for sure, but I'm with you. I do not believe necessarily he goes to New England. I think we need to see him that, but I do think he plays more football. I don't think he wants that to be his final performance in a football field, right? I agree with that, and I agree with Tom based on what I just said about the friend. I don't think he should have to take. He's been taking discounts for a year. You know, he has been the discount double check guy for years, you know, and if he's finally in an open market and this is what he wanted to do, this isn't something that was forced upon him. He chose to to walk out of his contract because I think he wants to be in an open market and he wants to hear what people have to say. And in this world, because I love Tom, he should have every right to do that. And then I love Bill. And then Bill can him can come together and try to find some resolution, whatever it is, what's best for each party. I think is what should happen.
I agree. And we'll be talking plenty about it here on the GM Shuffle. Of course, uh, it's going to be a fascinating subplot. More football conversation. I, I still don't think, Mike, it was a great game. It was a wildly entertaining game between the Texans and the Bills, but I thought it was sloppy. Having said that, it was riveting. It's like watching a bad movie. You know that, listen, you can see the boom mic, some of the dialogue's cheesy, but it's a riveting movie. I can't stop watching it. And that's what I felt like watching Houston Buffalo because there was sloppiness all over the place. I mean, Josh Allen, for God's sakes, he's running the ball. He looks good. Then what the hell is that stupid lateral? He's taken way too many critical sacks. The fact that Watson was able to escape on that unbelievable play, this game was just bananas, but the bottom line is this. Let's start with Watson and the fact that he had a tough start, but the fact he was able to emerge victorious, despite the fact he was sacked seven times, 247 yards passing, ran for 55 yards, and a play that will be talked about for years in Houston when he avoids that sack and was able to make that big play down the field. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Josh Allen in the first half of this game, I didn't know who the hell he was, right? Like, he was accurate. He ran the ball. I thought Brian Dayball did a great job of calling the game. He had a lot of stuff on third down that helped him out. And he made the game easy for Josh Allen. And Josh Allen made some really good throws. I mean, that first half, if you're a Bills fan, that first half gives you a sense that we can build something. Well, And to your point about Dable, the trick play out of the gate was great. That whole first drive was great. It was perfect, right? So, But I think if you're a Bills fan, the second half has to worry you because he did some dumb things. I mean, he did the lateral was the dumbest of all. But one of the dumb things that kind of got swept under the carpet is he actually is throwing the ball down the field to his fullback who's double covered like and he thinks the guy's going to make a play it's like I remember being at practice one time I forget who the player was but we went to Indiana's basketball practice and they were working on a fast break drill and the guy bring the ball up the court read a bounce pass for this big guy and of course it went off his hands and went out of bounds and and I'm thinking oh shit Knight's gonna rip this kid's ass like you can't believe no you know what Knight did Knight ripped the guy who distributed the ball like, you dumb shit, you got to know he can't catch that ball, right? Like, you got to know that's part of being a great player. You got to be aware of your players around you. You see a fullback down there who's got a vertical jump of about six inches, you can't throw it into double coverage, right? Like, you got to know this, right? I think it's one of Russell Wilson's greatest strengths. He knows his players around him, you know? He knows what they can and can't do. That's what great players do, and I think that that's just an indication of Josh Allen. And then, like, I think in every quarterback's meeting room, there has to be a board where we can't take a sack, right? Like, you walk in there, and every day, subliminally, you look at the board, and you say, if we have the ball on the opponent's 30, we cannot take a sack. We've got to get rid of the ball. Somehow, someway, we're getting rid of the ball. We're going to call three-step, whatever it is. We're not going to take a sack at midfield. We're not going to take a sack. We'll take a sack if we're inside the five. No problem. We'll take a sack if we're inside the 10. No problem. We'll hold the ball, get sacked. We'll still make the field goal. But we're not taking a sack at our own 20, and we get it back to our own 12. We can't take one there because we're going to lose field position. So, And Josh Allen doesn't even know this. He has no – I mean, have you ever seen a play – Third and 27, it becomes fourth. I mean, it was like the most bizarre. I felt like I was drunk. I thought I was seasick watching that game. I saw people tweeting that saying this game is drunk because you're right. It was just so bizarre and just maddening. And and for the Bills, I mean, you haven't won a playoff game in 24 years. I thought their defense was playing inspired, um, you know, gap integrity and good tackling and putting relentless pressure on Watson. Like, I mean, seven sacks, like they stepped it up. And then you're right to see your quarterback imploding like that. Having said that, Mike, they blew the lead, then came back to get that field goal. So you go, okay, maybe you can pull this off in overtime and then it falls apart. Here's my question to you Is Buffalo. Because I'm with you. There's there's concerns about Allen after I watched that game. But if you're Buffalo, do you say, hey, man, 
we we built on some things here. The Patriots, if Brady loses, this is going to be the changing of the guard. Or do you say, hey, you know what? We did not close well to end this season, and Josh Allen needs some work before we think we're going to be the beasts of the East in the AFC East. I would say this. I would say Buffalo will be the favorite next year to win the East. I think they'll have the higher win percentage. I would say that right now. I think Vegas will post Buffalo's win number at over total at over 8.5. I think it'll get a lot of action on that. I think the Patriots, whatever happens, they'll be in a transitionary state. They'll lower their win total, and we'll see where it goes. I, I think it's funny. Somebody tweeted to me. He said, you know, nobody gives them shit for not drafting Lamar Jackson, which to me is, is his biggest crime. If you're taking Josh Allen, not accurate, better runner than thrower, the best of that group was by far Lamar Jackson. Right, he was the best of it. I mean, he's a great runner, fast, athletic, and he maybe not been the most accurate. But if you're going to give up accuracy, you know, to me, that's the one. I think Brandon Bean up in Buffalo is going to be kicking himself in the ass, saying, "You know what? I, we all love Josh Allen, yada yada." This franchise would have been different if Lamar Jackson's playing quarterback for us. Well, I also enjoyed your tweet when you said, "How does Ryan Pace sleep at night?" <laughs> Watching, these I don't games. know how he sleeps. Like I don't know. Like I don't know. Now I think next week Ryan Pace should do the coin toss at the Chiefs Texans game. <laughs> I think it's only fair. <laughs> Would be only fitting. I could have had these guys, but I believed in MVP Mitch. It, it could be the only way. It could really be a good game. I mean, Ryan comes out and basically has benefited both franchises for his blunder, and he's the reason why they're in the divisional championship round because. You know, that's all I kept thinking about. Like, I know I keep beating a dead horse, but like Deshaun Watson, you know, he looks ugly. He does some things that you don't like. But God damn, when the game's on the line, you you like this guy, right? Put Deshaun Watson on the Bears team. Yeah, if only, right? One more thought before we close the book on this game, then we'll talk with the NFC. What'd you think of J.J. Watt? Listen, I think he's a hell of a player, and the fact he came back, we all know he's hurt. There's no uh, way he's 100%. Pretty inspired performance. It was great. It was unbelievable. I mean, but, you know, I mean, does ESPN just get carried away with a narrative? Well, that's true. Well, that's a good point you bring up. So here's what I was going to say. Rosillo used to always tell me, listen, the thing I get annoyed by, it's a little bit nauseating the way they're just in love with J.J. Watt all the time, and it's like he walks on water. And I said, listen, he's a good dude. He's raised so much for charity. He goes, listen, I get that, but it's a little overdone. And I think he kind of revels in it a little too much. That was always Ryan's take. It was a little overdone on Saturday. Oh, my God. You know, he doesn't get blocked. And, oh, he's turned this game around with a sack. I mean, Jesus Christ. Look, I, I, I admire everything he did. I think he's a great player. I don't get wrong. I, I think ESPN just, I mean, and sometimes I feel bad for those guys in the crew. I love when Tess now he's called, they got pressure. Like, did Joe really want to be a coach at one point in his life? He had to want to be because he loves shallow cross, they got pressure. But I think they changed the narrative during the course of the game, you know? And I hate when the announcers start talking as if the player were saying something. Well, this young man's saying right here with this, like, he's not saying anything. He's playing a game. Like, seriously, you don't have to talk for him. He He's saying by his play today that he should have been drafted higher. No, no, he's just trying to block the guy. That's it. He's not, he's not doing anything else. Yeah, just tell me what's going on. Like, tell me what's happening here, you know? Like, tell me why Houston can't get off the field. I mean, look, Josh Allen, I mean, whatever you think of him, I mean, the guy could have thrown four interceptions. That could, one, two of them going back to the other house. I mean, that game shouldn't have gone even to overtime when Roby drops that other interception out there right by their bench. So, yeah, I mean, I think ESPN just goes over. I don't know what they want their narrative to be. Like, I don't know what they really want to be. You know, like, the only way these games can get improved is, is to really, like, I don't want them to be X's and O coaching clinics, but, like, just tell us what's going on on the field. Tell us why they're in nickel, why they're in base, 
And like, let's not get carried away with one guy's story. Like Jacob Martin, you thought he was dead out there, and he he makes a few pressure plays on Josh Allen, and we don't even know his name. <laughs> well said. Stay tuned. After the break, Mike and I look at both NFC wildcard games, including Kirk Cousins. You like that? The Vikings' huge upset against the Saints, and a Wentz-less Eagles team could not overcome the Seahawks. That's coming up next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And now we turn our attention towards the NFC. Anybody who says Kirk Cousins can't win the big game, well, this result surprised me, Mike. I, listen, I think we talked to the Titans-Patriots, and I was surprised the Titans won, but not shocked. This one I was actually shocked by. I kept waiting for New Orleans to wake up, to turn things around. Taysom Hill, we'll get to him in a second. That was just a, a crazy story, seeing him as the Saints' leading rusher with 50 yards. He's throwing balls, he's catching balls, and yet New Orleans never really got on track. Credit to the Vikings' defense and to Kirk Cousins. He finally steps up in a big game as this latest disappointment comes to New Orleans, and yet some are going to say, Mike, now the Saints got screwed by the refs again. This time, replays on video boards yeah. showing a possible push-off by Kyle Rudolph against defensive back P.J. Williams moments before the big play, to which I say, listen, this isn't nearly as egregious as what happened in the past. You had a chance to win in the regular in the regular game, in regulation. So you know what? I don't think that one play determines the game. I thought they were going to score anyways because of what a huge pass it was, Cousins to Thielen. Your thoughts? I couldn't agree more. I like, look, you can nitpick, you can call about it. I mean, you can do all you want and say it. I, like, for me, that wasn't going to be the difference in the game. I mean, like, seriously, like, I know it was a bad call, but I, I didn't think it was egregious. And I think the fact that Drew Brees turned the ball over when you're going in to score, the fact that you, you couldn't stop them in the red zone, they were three for four in the red zone. The Saints gave up 136 yards rushing. I mean, the fact that you got the game to overtime to where it is, you're fortunate. But again, no one play causes you to lose the game. You could focus on it and you can have that narrative within your head all the time. But the reality of it is, is Minnesota was the better team. They won the game. Pretty pure and simple. I mean, Minnesota came out there. They knew they were going to win the game. They had a sense of it. They never talked about it on the air. But the reason they were going with so many snap counts, they were going fast. 
they didn't want to get false starts. They didn't want to stay in their stances very long. They wanted to get off on the ball because of the crowd noise. And, man, they got off on the ball, and they played fast. They didn't try to be in the perfect play all the time. They came off the ball. And, look, let's face it. I mean, the Saints had opportunities in the game. They couldn't close it down. They get stopped on a – you know, they get that turnover early in the game, three points. Again, red zone mistakes. You know, I think Taysom Hill is a fabulous player. I think he's a fabulous player. I don't think Drew Brees played to the best level of his day today at all. No, and that's what I was about to say. Brees, you know, everyone's talking about how Brady looked uh, vulnerable or not at his best. Brees certainly looked that way as well. Just didn't have arm strength, wasn't right in decision-making. He And I, I love Drew Brees, Mike, but he looked old out there today. He did, and, and I think that, you know, I mean, we kidded about, I mean, Taysom Hill is a hard guy for the defense to figure out, and, and here's why. When he comes on the field, the defense wants to know there's only two formations in football, right? There is only two, no matter what's in the game, there's really can only be two formations. There can only be three by one, three receivers to one side, one to the other, or two receivers to both sides. Now, who they are is a completely different story, right? It's a completely, and that's where Taysom Hill gains an advantage by who you are. So he comes into the game and the defense says, what are we declaring him as? Is he a quarterback? Is he a running back? Is he a receiver? Okay, so if I declare him as a running back, does that mean a linebacker covers him all the time if we go man-to-man and he's in the game? If I declare him as a receiver, does that mean the corner takes him? And then that what corner takes him if they got three other receivers on the field? Am I going to go to dime when he's on the field? You see all these problems start to mount up and keep coming up and coming up and coming up, and then he can throw the ball so he plays quarterback, right? So the touchdown pass, I mean – you know, they did a great job, but they did four verticals. And I don't think that Harrison Smith knew exactly what they were treating him as, right? Do I carry the back? Do I not carry the back? If he's a receiver, I carry him, but I don't carry the back. It gets into all that kind of situations. And I think Sean does a great job with Taysom Hill. I think Taysom Hill's really good. I mean, i never seen a tougher kid in my life. I mean, here's a kid that plays four years at BYU and gets hurt all the time. And yet he goes and covers kicks, scores touchdown, blocks his ass off, and does everything. I mean, he's a hard guy to match up to, and the more they use him, it's difficult. But at the end of the day, I don't think the Saints' defense played very well. Their run defense was poor today. They really couldn't cover. And Cousins made a throw. I think what Troy said, it was a throw to bury all the past. I don't know if that's going to bury because next week if he goes out to San Francisco and sucks it off, it won't. But I think the reality of it is is – I think he proved that it wasn't him. I liked the, on the pot on Friday. I liked the Vikings and the points. I didn't think they could win the game. I liked them. Point. It was a good matchup for Minnesota. Yeah, I remember you saying it was going to be a close game, and I'm with you that it it simmers the criticism. I don't think it, it, it stifles it entirely, but yeah, it simmers it a little bit. You mentioned the Vikings run defense. How about Dalvin Cook? 130 yards from scrimmage, scored two touchdowns after missing the last two regular season games with a shoulder injury. So he was absolutely vital. One thought creeped up. People are always tweeting this. He's 60. He's a big Pats fan. You know, he was impressed by Taysom Hill. He was wondering, and I, this may be off, but can the Patriots utilize Julian Edelman next year, Wildcat quarterback, et cetera, different ways, the way that Taysom Hill was utilized by New Orleans, or is that just a, an isolated incident of being able to do that? Edelman couldn't survive the contact. I mean, this kid takes the hits. I mean, this kid bounces right back up. I mean, Edelman was never an L4 or L5 on a kickoff coverage team. I mean, that's that. you got to be a man to be an L5 on a kickoff coverage team. You're going down there, you're getting your ass kicked, right? This guy, that's what he is. He's a personal protector on the punt team. So Tebow could have been this guy, right? Could Tim Tebow have been this guy? Yeah, in fact, they said it today that that this would have been the perfect job. But Tebow, obviously, Mr., you know, I'm a quarterback, you know, although I won't practice like, you know, I I can't do it, you know. Yeah, sure. And and to me, 
If you have Deshaun Watson, it's the perfect guy to put with Deshaun. I wrote this in my book. You put two of these guys on the field. You put Deshaun Watson on the field with somebody else who's got the ability to take some hits, that can play in the kicking game, that can play running back and receiver. You know, like Joe Webb used to do it for Houston a little bit, but he's not quite as good. But, I mean, yeah, if you could find this guy, and they're out there. They're out there. Now, all of a sudden, again, we get back into that same problem. What is he? Is he a running back? Is he a receiver? What are we treating him as? That's the first thing everybody says. What are we treating him as? In 11 personnel, we're going to treat him as a running back. When he's in the game and they're in 12 personnel, we're going to treat him as a receiver. When he's in, and then once Sean starts to figure out what you're treating him out based on personnel, then he reverses what he does with them. And it's the versatility of the guy. Logan Thomas, who's now a tight end on on Detroit's team, he was an all-state tight end, went to quarterback, went to Virginia Tech. I wanted to move him to tight end when he came out in the draft. I, we Actually, I was at the Patriots. We sat him in the room and said, kid, I think the best place for you to play is tight end. And, you know, he wasn't ready to play tight end at that point. He bounced around three teams, and now he plays tight end. But, I mean, I think that there's guys like that out there that you got to that make your team. And with a creative coach like Sean Payton, wow. Well, that's what I was about to say. You know, you look at New Orleans and New England, maybe people will start to put, put some dirt on them. But great coaches, obviously, in Belichick and Peyton. But listen, is the Super Bowl window closing, perhaps, for New Orleans? Yeah. Like, I think that, like you said, defense didn't step up and Breeze didn't look good. So maybe there will be some changes as far as New Orleans is concerned. Yeah. I mean, like, where, like if you're in New Orleans, right? Breeze isn't coming back at 25 mil a year. Like, Breeze ain't coming back. I mean, last year they almost said no, 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 right? Like, two years ago when he did this deal, they were almost like, no, they were getting pissed. Like, it was taking him forever to make a deal. Like, Breeze might say, hey, if Jared Goff's getting 35, I got to have one for 40. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I mean, like, and I think that, you know, today was a little bit of a, you know, look, we can talk about all these older quarterbacks, but two of them lost in the wild card round. Yeah. And it wasn't their fault, but they lost in the wild card round. And Josh McCallan came in off the bench and played his ass off. We'll talk about that in a second. But they lost in the wild card round. No country for old men. That could be the story when it comes to the quarterbacks in the NFL wild card weekend. Lastly, the Philadelphia Eagles. It was such a great weekend of football, Mike. I thought we kind of got cheated with this one because we didn't get to watch a healthy Carson Wentz. Very early on, Jadeveon Clowney knocks him out of the game. And so the Eagles, listen, hats off to, to Jim Schwartz and that defense. Fletcher, I want to talk about Fletcher Cox first. That Fletcher Cox looked possessed early on. Like every time, I was like, how can you only have single coverage of this guy? He was making life miserable for Russell Wilson. And that front to the Eagles... They literally were keeping Philadelphia in this game. Offensively, they couldn't do anything, obviously, with Josh McCown. God love him, 40 years old. He ran for that one first down. I said, oh, my God, what an inspiring story this is. But obviously, they couldn't do enough. But how about the Eagles' front? They, they did keep Philadelphia in this when you might have thought it would be a lot more one-sided. Yeah, I did. You know, and I mean, look, you know, the Seahawks are a funny team because they give you yards, right? So even McCown threw the ball from 20 to 20, and they got that, but they couldn't get in the end zone. They couldn't make any plays. They couldn't make a play, you know. And I thought when it was 17-6 to and they're driving down there. Now, I know all the analytics people say, you know, it was 17-9 to with like nine minutes to go in the game or something like that. And they went for it on fourth and four. Yes. I think I would have kicked the field goal there. I remember it was about six minutes left, and they showed the graphic. They said, well, Eagles are four for four on fourth downs. Doug Peterson loves it on fourth down. And the point that Collinsworth was making was it's so rare for Philly to be in this territory take advantage now. Why would you have kicked the field goal, Mike? Because if now it's 17 to 12, and if I hold them, which I think I can do that, I think I can play good enough to hold them, I get the ball back, I win the game. If I don't get it, the best I'm going to do is tie the game, and i got to get a two-point conversion. If I make this kick and I get the ball back again – 
because I think I could stop him. I mean, look, I didn't stop him at the end of the game, so it proved me wrong. I mean, they throw the deep route to DK Metcalf. He makes a great play on the double move, but I'm going to stop him. I, in fact, I did stop him. Even after the fourth and four, I stopped them. I got the ball back, and they had one of the shittiest drives of all. They went they went three and out in a hurry, and that's when I got the last drive down there to go down the field. So I would have kicked the field goal there. I think, I think to me, this going for the points, you know, but if I can't win the game by going for points, what am I going for the points for? Yeah. Right? Like, why don't I take the points and give myself a chance to win the game? Because I still need a two-point conversion. Like, there's no guarantee – if I if I get it right and I score, and now the score is seventeen to fifteen, and I got to tie it up, right? But if I don't tie it up, I get the ball back. Maybe I can win by a point. But if I get twelve and I get the ball back, I score. It, and look, it's fourth and four. I get it. They had a nice play called. Sanders didn't catch it and they didn't run it. I mean, you can go back and forth on this argument all you want. I think I would have taken the points, especially with Josh McCowan, knowing that he didn't really have a lot of. It's going to be hard for him to execute at fourth and four. Look, Philly's going to talk about Carson Wentz's you know, inability to stay healthy for the next nine months. That's what we're going to hear. Yeah, uh, just to finish the point of that fourth and four, you're right about Sanders because I said he's got to make that catch. And I had people tweeting me going, well, it wasn't a good throw. I'm like, no, I get that. But you can't expect Josh McCowan to make the right play. So other guys have to step up. That's the whole point of that situation. I thought Miles should have made that catch, but you're right. Uh, the focus here is going to be on Wentz. The fact it's his first career playoff start, he lasted two series before he exited with the head injury. Listen, McCowan is the oldest quarterback to make his playoff debut. God love him. But you're right. The talk is going to be about Wentz as great as he was. They were 5-7 and seven after that. That lost the Dolphins, won four straight, but he couldn't stay healthy, and ultimately that cost them. I want to talk with DK Metcalf. Collins was said in the broadcast he would have drafted him seventh overall. Instead, he went late in the second round. Seven catches for 160. I remember you and I very early on the GM shuffle talking about him at the Combine, and people were losing their minds about him. He was yeah. spectacular for Russell Wilson today. But look, the guy, and I've, I've made this really clear, he's a limited route run guy, and I think they've done a great job with him of developing his route, but he wasn't a polished receiver coming out, and his speed wasn't always on the tape. Look at his numbers at Mississippi. You know, in defending scouts and defending people, and he really is a one-route guy. Now, he's explosive, and he's better than – I thought he was going to be, but I think to me, you know, Chris liked him and he obviously saw something in him at the position, but his route tree was limited. And because of his route tree being limited, I think he got slid down a little bit. Like, I don't think he could have, New England couldn't have drafted him because he couldn't do all the things New England wants to do in her offense. Now, Seattle's done a nice job of modifying what they do. Plus, Wilson, when he starts to break down, they don't really, they're actually better when the play breaks down and he can move around. So, yeah, but I thought he was sensational. I mean, DK Metcalf has saved their season for him, you know, And but Wilson was, look, let's face it, Wilson was dynamic. I mean, I said today on the air that the only way I thought they could win is if Wilson played great. And, you know, like typically, what does he do? He plays great. But, again, what, what I also said, I said it on the pod, the Eagles need to win third down. They're 3-for-11 in the game. They had been 50% on third down before Wentz got hurt. And it's not Wentz's fault. Look, Clowney's never going to be allowed to come back into Philly again. I mean, if the league office doesn't suspend Clowney for 15 weeks, I mean, the legal fans are going to go berserk. I mean, because it should have been called. It was a penalty. It should have been called. But these things, sometimes they don't get called. That's just life. Right? Yeah, and it's one other point here about Wilson. 325 yards. He led the team 45 yards rushing. As good as the defense played, Mike, how killer was it they could not get key stops on third and long? You'd see Wilson move around a little bit. He'd scramble for like 25 yards. You'd go, well, that, that is a backbreaker, the fact that Eagles D couldn't stop them on those third and longs. Look, it is what 
It is. I mean, you just, you know, the guy moves. If you don't control him in the pocket and you don't force him to stay between the left shoulder of the left guard and the right shoulder of the right guard and you don't keep him in there, all he's doing is buying time and you can't cover receivers that long down the field. I mean, you just can't do it. And he finds open cracks and, you know, he makes plays and they did enough. Look, you know, it's funny. I watch Seattle and, you know, Philly's got 20 first downs in the game. You know, they're moving the football. You think they're really doing well. But in reality, they only had 162 yards passing. It was a lot of, again, it goes back to what I said earlier on this pod. What reveals itself in playoff time is your inability to do the things you couldn't do all year. And the Eagles couldn't make explosive plays. The Eagles couldn't do anything down the field. They were a three-play. They had to have put three plays, three plays, three plays, because they have no explosive players. And I could, you could talk about Zach Ertz all you want, but they didn't have any receiver that could average over 14 yards. I mean, injuries played a role, but they were very much like the Patriots in their lack of speed and explosiveness on offense. Yeah, Greg Ward and those kind of guys were not going to get it done. There's no question about that. Last thought. Do you think the Clowney hit was a dirty hit on Wentz? You know, I I mean, it, it sure looked like like he led with his head. There's no doubt. I mean, it, there's no doubt he led with his head. Um you know, I, I sometimes I don't know how so people, we all can figure out. We could, shit, it takes me four moves to get into bed when Dominic stays at the house. I don't know how the hell you can contort your body like that. You know, like so. When I saw it, I said, "Listen, Cloudy had a hell of a game today. He was listen, Jason Peters. We know he's whatever sixteen years, how many Pro Bowls, but he he looked ancient today because Cloudy was having a field day. But I just thought specifically on that hit, that was a dirty hit. He did lead with his helmet. It did, and and I think you're right. I mean, look, the Eagles' offensive line didn't play well. Now they're missing Lane Johnson. They're missing their right guard Brandon Books, who was out. I mean, look, the Eagles are decimated with injuries. I mean, it's been the Achilles heel of this team for the last two years, and you could say it's bad luck, but you could also say there's reasons behind it. And the Eagles got to get to the bottom of those reasons but here's what i would say for philadelphia in the offseason with all you think everything about's going on the number one need in philadelphia the number one need the philadelphia eagles must address this offseason is the backup quarterback because this guy can't stay healthy like if you don't want to acknowledge it and you don't want to accept it that's fine but the reality of it is is they were fortunate enough to be able to spend four million bucks to get josh mccallan out of espn money well spent it was an insurance policy that that really didn't cash in yet Today it had to cash in, and it almost gave him an advantage. But I would say this. Next year, there's no freaking chance if I were running the Eagles. The number one thing on this team is to have a backup. Now, maybe it's Nick Folk comes back because Jacksonville cuts him. Who knows? But you got to spend money on a backup quarterback because Wentz is proven through his career that durability is an issue. Yeah, there's no way they're going to be able to keep him and Foles. But to your point, at this point, it's – I don't want to say it's an epidemic, but you're right. You can't bank on a healthy Carson Wentz, unfortunately. That's the reality of the situation. Coming up after the break, Jason Garrett. Yes, finally, you can start clapping. The clapper's gone. Mike and I'll break it down next. Well, you talk about twists and turns, Mike, and you think it was something that looks like a fait accompli, like absolutely cowboys don't make it. Jason Garrett's going to be fired, but no, apparently he was lobbying for his job back and forth. They're trying to fire him. He's going, oh, come on, give me, give me another chance. <laughs> Ridiculous. Seven days after the season ends, they announce, yes, Jason Garrett is done. 20 years of service to the Cowboys as a player, assistant coach, and head coach. The Cowboys interviewed Marvin Lewis and Mike McCarthy, even though, wait for it, Garrett 
Barrett was still technically employed. His contract set to expire January 14th. Bottom line is this, Mike. He was 85 and 67 as a coach. He made the playoffs three times, but won just two playoff games. Eight and eight they finished this year. Fourth time they finished with a 500 record. A dreadful job as coach of the Cowboys. You know, and you listen to the Cowboys press release, and they don't see it that way. I mean, they, it was glowing what they said about him. And obviously, there's a lot of fondness between the Jones family and Jason Garrett. And, and I think this, and I tweeted this out today. I don't know if I explained it correctly, but everything was going on behind the scenes that Jason wasn't going to be there. I mean, what Ed Warner reported last week was Ed dead on correct. Ed, Ed has the information. He's wired in the building. He knows what's going on. They weren't bringing Jason back. Now, what they wanted to do is pay respect to him and let him see if this thing goes out. Here's the reality. Jason Garrett's represented by Dave Dunn, and Mike McCarthy's represented by Trace Armstrong. Well, Dave Dunn and Trace Armstrong are in the same firm. So there's no way, there's no way that – they're going to call Mike McCarthy up and say, hey, Mike, we want you to come in for a job. Because Trace Armstrong's going to say, well, you already have a coach. You have one of my clients. You have Jason Garrett. What are you doing? Then they explain to him, okay, here's what we're doing. So it really wasn't public, but it was privately done. And then Jones, obviously, for some reason, decided to announce it during the Eagle game, which to me, look, I'm a conspiracy theorist guy. It seems a little strange, right? You're finally going to do it now? I mean, everybody knows he's gone, and you sent out a press release in the fourth quarter of an Eagles game? A little bit suspicious. <laughs> I was going to say. That I'm was just the, saying. That's the, I don't, Mike, I don't know what's worse. The fact the Eagles lost the game, the fact that Wentz got hurt, or the fact Jason Garrett got fired. They wanted Garrett to stay. That's the worst thing news that could happen for an Eagles fan. Yeah. You, you know, we're, we're in here for different reasons. Don't ever forget that, right? <laughs> there were things going on. We're in here for different reasons. Uh, ultimately, I think it was a great weekend of football, man. Like when, when you're talking about games that are that close, as you said, New England, the final yeah. score does not indicate the fact that was a one point game, right? Titans was a three point game. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the fact the Vikings went to overtime. The Eagles, you can only imagine if Wentz was healthy, but still a competitive game. This was a great weekend of football in terms of close games, and it shows how tough it is to handicap these games. By the way, yeah, no doubt. And and now this opens up where we're now into the coaching search, right? So this week, you know, now if you have an interest in hiring Josh McDaniels, you don't have to wait until the Super Bowl. You don't have to wait to the conference championship games you know and I think what the Patriots will probably do is let their coaches talk I think later in the week knowing Bill he'll probably want to have some meetings Monday and Tuesday with the staff and then Wednesday I think you'll see Josh and maybe Joe Judge who's really up for the Mississippi State job go out and interview maybe the Giants and then I think they'll be able to so if you want to so if just hypothetically say David Tepper meets Josh McDaniels and says you're my guy he can sign him to a contract right there like there's no okay we got a deal but we're gonna have to wait till the game's over so that's gonna happen and I think you know Matt Rule's gonna interview with the Giants he's gonna interview with the Panthers I think there'll be some sense of a verdict there the Giants are talking to a lot of different people the Giants are trying to convince people that they're gonna change their methodology within their front office I think that's a healthy thing to do and you know Cleveland still looks to me like you know everything's got to go through deep Podesto and it's still messy at all and I don't I don't see anything really changing there you know Stefanski who was deep Podesto's number one guy he's got another week to go before he can hire him I'm sure they could talk to him this week but 
So I think that's what we're looking at in the coaching searches. I think that's where it's going to go on. You're going to see some things, I think, shake down. I think the Cowboys job closes. I think the Giants job closes. And I think Carolina job closes by Friday of this week. It's an amazing time right now. It's football both on the field and off the field. This has been a blast. As always, please do subscribe to the GM Shuffle. You know, Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Instagram as well, at GM Shuffle. This was fun, man. We'll be back with our picks on Thursday. Thanks, guys.